the Bible Study Podcast, episode 517. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues a study of the kings of Israel and Judah with 1 Samuel 19 and 20. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We're going to move a little more rapidly through some of the next chapters and not do them one episode per chapter because there's going to be this long theme here of Saul is still king. David has been anointed king. Saul is trying to kill David and David is fleeing for his life. And so we're going to we're not going to do every verse in detail here. First Samuel 19 here starts this way. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, "My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and tell you what I find out." Jonathan spoke well of David David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took an oath, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death." So Jonathan called David and told the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such great force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hands. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night David made good his escape. Saul sent his men to David's house to watch it and kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on his bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat hair at the head. So Saul is going to kill David. He's not going to kill David. Saul has a problem. His problem is that he is, one, inconsistent. Two is he's got quite a bit of a temper, as we'll see in the next chapter, even more so. And his word means nothing, right? He'll say, I'm not going to kill David, and then change his mind. And so he is not one to be trusted, especially when he's holding a spear in his hand, because this is, by my count, the third time he has thrown a spear at David to try and kill him, while David has done nothing wrong. David has been appointed a king by God. Saul doesn't even know that, but Saul has been jealous of David's success. David's success in service of Saul, as Jonathan, his son, points out to him. His service has been to your benefit. But Saul still has this crazy fear of David and this this amazing anger towards him, so that even when Jonathan talks sense into him, Just a few days later, apparently, he gives it up and tries to kill David again. So David is fleeing, and he's helped by Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L. This is a woman's name. This is David's wife. And if you've forgotten, this is Saul's daughter. Jonathan is Saul's son. So Saul's own kids are not aligned with him on this. They are not trying to kill David. They are trying to help David escape. And they are trying to talk some sense into their father. 
so David escapes, and then the, this end part here, David escapes with help of his wife, Michael, who then lets and then puts this idol in his bed with goat hair for his head. It basically, this is the old pillow in the bed trick. The men come and they try and bring David to him. At first, he says he's ill. Then Saul says, you know, bring him to me in his bed that I may kill him. They come and they find that Michael has deceived them. And then there's this interesting little section here. It says, When David had fleed and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Nioth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Nioth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went into the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? Over in Nioth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Nioth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Nioth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all day and all night. This is why people say, Is Saul also among the prophets. So a couple interesting things to learn from this in terms of life lessons. One is just because you haven't done anything wrong doesn't mean that somebody won't be out to get you. Hopefully that's not always going to be the case, but we can see here that David is innocent, but just being innocent doesn't mean that everything goes your way. But on the other hand, we see that God is protecting David, and he's protecting him in this very strange way that Saul three times sends soldiers to either capture or kill David. And instead of capturing or killing David, they become prophets. And that makes them ineffective in terms of capturing or killing David. So he himself goes, thinking that this would not happen to him, but he himself turns into a prophet for this period of time here and forgets about what he is planning on doing. And so God is protecting David, and he's protecting him in this very strange, very supernatural kind of way. So that's the other thing we should remember is that even though bad things do happen to good people, God is not just a clockmaker who's wound things up and letting things go. God is at work in this situation, in this situation of David particularly, but hopefully also in the situations that we find ourselves in. I'm reminded of this whole bad things can happen to good people because I'm really reading the book of Job right now. And the whole book is Job trying to figure out what it is that he has done wrong or his friends accusing him that he must have done something wrong if all these bad things have happened to him or him defending that he hasn't done anything wrong. Much of the book is this discussion. And Job never, ever finds out in this book what it was that happened, and it had nothing to do with what he had done. That's the punchline of Job, is that Job doesn't get to know. That sometimes things happen, and they are beyond our pay grade, as it were. They happened in this case because there's an argument in heaven. And God is in control in the book of Job, but he allows bad things to happen to Job. God's priorities are not our priorities, is the third thing we learn. Going on to quickly through chapter 20, David and Jonathan. So David and Jonathan are close, close friends. 
says in verse 3 of this, David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. This, this being that he is trying to kill David again. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow on the new, is the new moon festival. I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant that you brought into the covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? A little more dialogue. Jonathan goes, he indeed tells his father that, oh, yeah, David is not here because he went down to Bethlehem. And David and Jonathan also set up this signal where they're going to go out and David and Jonathan's going to shoot arrows and he's going to tell his servant to go to a particular way. If I say go go on, then that means you should go. And if I say they're over here, then that means you should stay. So they, they set up this, this secret. David hides in the field and Jonathan goes to the dinner. And Saul says to Jonathan, haven't you seen... Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answers, David earnestly asked me permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because her family is observing a sacrifice in the town. And my brothers ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. And that is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flares up against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't you know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, or for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on the second day of the feast. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. And he goes out, he gives the signal. David knows that it's not safe for him to be there. And they talk and he says, go in peace. We have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David leaves. And so David is now in exile. And Jonathan was not able this time to talk some sense into his father. In fact, putting himself between David and his father nearly gets him killed. Apparently, though, Saul is not a very good spear thrower. He's now 0 for 4, for those of you who are keeping track. So, Or he doesn't throw very well when he is angry. But Saul has this incredible, fierce anger, which is irrational in terms of he is now trying to kill his son whose inheritance he says he's trying to protect, right? So there's no rational thinking that is going on here. But Saul is angry. He's angry at David. He's jealous of David. Saul is a narcissist. Saul is someone who is just thinking about Saul at this point, even though he says he's thinking about Jonathan. We should be very, very careful when dealing with people who think like that, as Jonathan found out. Now, David will spend some time in exile. And we're going to cover that next week. 
With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.